Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I just love what God's doing here in this church. And I just want to just share with you this morning um, a great passion, a great burden of mine is I, I, I just love people. And I just love lost people so much so that um, I oversee a ministry that is one of its main thrusts, main focus is that we go into high schools and we preach the good news of gospel of Jesus unapologetically and um, that we might see young people um, give their life to Jesus. Recently, I was in the market for a new car and um, went and had a look at a few private sellers and uh, I was doing a youth camp up in the Sunshine Coast so I thought it was a great opportunity there's a couple of car makes and models that were up there that I thought I'll kill two birds with one stone and have a look and so I drove a little bit further up the Sunshine Coast from where the campsite was to go and see this vehicle and this lady was inquisitive as to what I was doing for work and why I was up there and so I always sort of start, well, I run a non-for-profit organization that sort of puts their antennae up. And because um, if I say I'm a pastor, sometimes it just, it just repels them and it pushes them away. And all of a sudden they get all fidgety and start sweating and start confessing sins and different things. And <laughs> why they kick the cat in the morning. So I just, to avoid the awkwardness, so I, I sort of land there. And if there's a little bit of warmth, then they get a little bit more inquisitive and they dig a little bit deeper. And I say I'm a public speaker. I do different comments. Conferences. I speak in um, at different summits and and go into high schools and do different presentations. And then she starts sort of the the cogs start going in her brain, and she asks another question. She goes, "So what what is the organisation actually called that you oversee?" And I said, "Youth Alive." She's going, "Oh my God! Oh my God!" And I'm like, "Uh oh, what have we done here?" I was like, "You're always er to that side." And I was like, um, it, "Whatever it was, it wasn't me." There's three previous directors beforehand. They're all scumbags, and I got nothing to do with it. So, so, um, but she said, she goes, you know what? Twenty years ago, she goes, my friend begged me to come along to this event called Youth Alive, and I was so reluctant. She said it was Christian, and I, I'm the sort of person that would never step foot into a church. She goes, but she twisted my arm and she invited me to come along. So I went along, and there was a lady by the name of Christine Kane. She got up and she preached the gospel of Jesus. And that night I put my hand up, I caved in the front and I gave my life to Jesus. And I've been in church for 20 years since. So how, how awesome is that? And um, I just think that I have a heart to see um, lost people under Jesus. But recently in the last few years, um, there, there's some startling statistics that actually came to my attention where the first year, if we give our life to Jesus, in the first year, we've got 20 quality non-Christian friendships. Okay, In the second year of getting involved in church, giving your life to Jesus, we see that after on the second year, we've got 10 quality non-Christian relationships. On the third year, we have six quality non-Christian relationships. And after eight years of being in the faith, statistically showing we have no quality non-Christian relationships. Who thinks that's some startling statistics? So as an evangelist who's supposed to be leading the way for a generation to win people to Jesus. See, before I was in ministry, I tell you what, I worked at General Motors Holden. Is there any Holden's workers here? Well, we've got a few more years left, praise God. <laughs> um, 
And, um, and so out of school, I took on that job and God really challenged me. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus about five kilometers down the road. It was the Salisbury Teachers College. I was driving one night with a friend on the way to a drug dealer's house. We never made it there because I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. I jumped out of the car, gave my life to Jesus at the Tyndale School. And, um, and from that day on, I served him. And I've always had a sense that maybe God would use me to win people to, to Christ for his namesake. But before the doors were open for ministry, God really challenged me hardcore. So you know what? You've got a mission field right here in front of you. You've got a captive audience. And I'm like, have a look at these people, Lord. Like they had huge, big tattoos, like major ones up their neck, hairy nostrils. Some of them didn't shower literally for the whole week. It was like, it was full on. And um, so there, there I am on the factory floor and God began to stir me. There were times where I was isolated in some of my roles on the assembly line where I would just spend hours just praying, just praying, God, give me an opportunity. I would go in early before work would start and I would walk up and down the factory floor. After a while, the security guards came up to me because they're like, why are you randomly just walking around? I'm like, oh, nothing, just enjoying the environment. And they're like, <laughs> they thought I was scoping out the place for some scam to steal some things and and I got pulled into the supervisor's office. I'm like, what are you doing rolling up early? So I had to change up my game plan. So I started going up to Ancy's Hill so I could see General Motors Holden and just, Lord Jesus, bless Holden's <laughs> at an arm's length. So um, while I was there, um, it was an amazing thing where there was a little mini revival where uh, led one person to the Lord and then another one, um, that person led another person to the Lord. And while, we were there, while, while I was there for 12 months, 12 people gave their lives to Jesus in that time. Now, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Praise God. I'm, I'm okay too. But I'm not saying that to go, wow, how awesome are you? I'm saying this, uh, am I? I? I'm saying this to set up that over the years when I came on staff at, um, at, at Paradise Church, that while I was there, um, I got so consumed with activity within church life. I got so consumed with, with the outworking to see people one to Jesus Christ that in my own personal walk, um, I hadn't seen someone one to Jesus for over 10 years. And it was a real concerning factor to me because, you know, I love people. I love lost people, but I wasn't in an environment. And I just really want to stir us and challenge us and just have a look at a few things this morning because I, I love the, the heart of um, Tony and Kath and their heart for the community and their heart for lost people. But you know what? Running an organization, I, I, I just see the untapped potential when God's people are firing and game on and on point when we're all firing and we're taking our responsibility, not just leaving it to different meetings and not just leaving it to the pastors, but when we're game on and we're shining our light into the world, we can see amazing things happen because who knows that Adelaide needs Jesus? Come on, let me hear an amen. Who knows that Adelaide needs Jesus? So... Better than anyone, Jesus capitalized on the possibility in people that there was a hidden potential in all of us. He had an uncanny ability to look past the obvious flaws in people's lives and see who they could become if the power of God was released into their lives. He saw a godly worshiper clothed as a worn, wearied prostitute, the faithful disciple hiding inside a fisherman called Simon. He saw the hidden philanthropist in the life of a crooked tax collector named Zacchaeus. He saw the risk taker in a cowardly Jewish ruler named Nicodemus. All things are possible was Jesus' mantra. Amen. 
We need to move towards people with the love of God. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. And we need to be moved for what people feel and why they feel it and what they feel. We may be the only connection that they might have to God. You know why I love nights like tonight? I wish I could be here, but I'm going to be elsewhere. Nights like tonight are opportunities to seek the face of God. Corporately and collectively, sometimes a prophetic begins to flow in an environment like that, and God can speak clearly to us as a church as a whole. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is that when you see Him, you will be like Him. And when you see the heart of God... The first thing he almost says is that he, he'll love you. It's almost like when you're in the presence of God, he says that he loves you. But then in turn, I always get compelled when I see God. I see a heart for lost people and he wants me to share my faith. So we see here that I had to get up and preach a certain series at, in my church in Queensland. And I was really convicted because I had to inspire them around evangelism. So I gave them all the statistics, all the thousands of people that are saved, told them all the stories. And as I said, God began to challenge me, when's the last time you'd won someone to Christ? And that really troubled me. A couple of weeks later, after I'd been teaching around this series, I was Sunday morning. It was Sunday morning and I was running late for church. Um, there wasn't any milk or bread in the fridge. I was really annoyed with Renee. She'd let the team down. And... Um, <laughs> And so I had to quickly go down the road to the service station. And, um, and as I was there waiting in line with my milk and bread so that we could get the kids fed and we could get out the house and we could get to church and, and we could lift up the name of Jesus, there was all these bothersome things happening. Like this lady, this non-Christian lady, she didn't know how important I was. She didn't know that I needed to be at church. She didn't know that I had a mission to preach the gospel of Jesus to the rest of the congregation, to motivate them to win lost people to Jesus Christ. How dare this lady, while she was there, she was on the phone having a personal phone call. Like, how dare she? Didn't she know who I was, the mandate that was on my life to win the lost to Christ and stir up the people of God to go out there and win everyone? And I'm there and I'm running late and I, my heart's beginning to beat faster. I'm beginning to sweat. I'm beginning to tap my, my foot. I'm rattling my keys. I'm <coughs> because this console operator was on a personal phone call when the man of God was about to buy milk and bread because his wife had let him down and I needed to get to church. What was this lady's problem? And there I was and getting stirred up and I just felt the utterance of the Holy Spirit begin to speak to me like, are you right there, son? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, let's just calm down a bit here. I'm like, okay, let's soften up. And then I begin to lean into her conversation with a good Christian eavesdrop. <laughs> and I could hear her and she was having some conflict with the person on the other end of the phone. And I, I, I begin to, as the Holy Spirit begin to soften me and tell me to chill out, I actually begin to mo be moved with an empathy towards what was going on. And then I begin to see past the fact that I was about to mobilize an army to win the lost as to there was a lost person right there in front of me that was going through a difficult relationship and was being strained. And I was just convicted to my core, not in a condemning you scumbag way, but a, hey, Cam, you need to just have a little bit of a checkup about what you're all about at the moment, mate. And it was quite a refreshing and sobering thought. And then she hangs up the phone. And as she hangs up the phone, she's like, oh, 
teenagers, who'd have them? And I'm just like, I smiled like with a wry grin and I said, oh, really? Teenagers? I said, I love teenagers. I work with teenagers. I can't get enough of them. I, I just think there's so much potential. We just need to tap into them. They can be champions. She goes, oh. She goes, oh, my daughter was doing so well. But just recently, she had a friend who got struck with a, a, a virus called meningococcal. And within 48 hours of being identified with that, she, she passed away and she died. And my daughter, she... She's, she's just a different person. She doesn't know how to process it. She's angry. She's not talking to me. She's locking herself in her room. She's crying all the time. She won't talk to any grief counsellors. She won't talk to the school chaplain. She won't talk to anyone. I just don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. And I said, do you know what? I said, look, I'm actually a, a pastor and I work with young people. And I said, I, I, I believe that God can help your daughter and, um, and I'm, and I'm going I'm to pray for her. Well, I went to church and I mobilized the army of God to go and win the lost. <laughs> and um, I was just so troubled all through that message, all through that meeting. I couldn't stop thinking about this lady in her personal situation. There we all are in church and we're clapping and we're cheering and we're celebrating the victory of Jesus. And there's a reality of a woman who's out there, a single parent with a daughter who just suffered a loss of her own best friend, not knowing how to process it, nowhere knowing to turn, no male figure in her life. She was at her wit's end. She was taking personal time dealing with the situation and the workplace. And you know what? I begin to think, what can we do about this? You know, you've got to do more than just shun above and pray about it. I've got, I've got to, we need to definitely do that, but we've got, to, we've got to take this another level. So as I was talking to Renee, she said, um, you know, when we've gr helped with grief counselling, we've gotten um, journals for people, and if they've found it hard to express their emotions, we've bought them journals, and they've penned things down, and that could be a start. So I'm like, great idea. God just spoke to me through you, Renee. Thank you very much. So <laughs> we, we, we went to, <laughs> who's that? It's like, you hear from someone else, it's like, oh, thank you, God just spoke to me. You don't give them any credit. And <laughs> So I go to the news agent and I'm looking at the book section and there's these different books and then I saw this beautiful leather red bound um, journal. I thought, that's amazing. And then I turned it around to see the price and I put it back on the shelf. No, <laughs> So I, I grabbed that and then I went over and I thought, we've got to get a pen to help her pen it down. And we, I asked the lady at the news agent, I've got a really nice pen. And there was all the ones that were sort of the bics and the ballpoints and this, that and the other and the parkers. And then, then she goes, there's these ones over here. And I said, we just need something a bit better. And then she went over to the glass cabinet. You know, like you're forking out big bucks if you go to the glass cabinet. So I'm like, yeah, okay, reluctantly. So she opens it up and I'm like that's perfect that red one there grab that I went back over and I've got to get wrapping paper and a bag and and I've got to take this thing and maybe get a ribbon so she takes me over and I get a, a red ribbon a red bag and then I get some red wrapping paper so I put it all I jump in the car Renee was waiting in there with the kids and I jumped in the car and I go look I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and she's like you think you like red I'm like well you know it's a theme of redemption God's love it's a love story it's a scarlet letter and and so she's like oh my God, you're a super spit. So, um, so, so I, I, we wrapped it all up. We went down to the console, to, to the lady at the service station, and there was a big lineup, and I'm sort of sneaking in there, and I've got this bag behind my back, and, and then the, everyone's looking at me like, what's he got behind his back? Like, they're looking at me like I'm about to do it, like an armed robbery or something. And so as I'm waiting in line, I finally get to her, and I sort of pull out the bag, like, ta-da. 
I said, with tears in my eyes, I said, I haven't been able to stop thinking about that situation with your daughter. My wife's in the car and we, I shared your story and um, we just want to give you this. We don't want us to be involved. We want you to give it to your daughter on your behalf and say that she can journal in that book and at a time where she feels comfortable to actually talk to you about what she's writing down, that, that she, she's going to open up. And um, she just had tears in her eyes. She, she was absolutely weeping. She's like, mascara was like going everywhere. It was like she'd been at a Marilyn Manson concert. And, <laughs> and, and so she's sort of, oh, I'm working. And so she's trying to clean herself up. And um, I kept going back week after week, obviously to fuel up, as you do. You've got to fill up a vehicle. And, um, and you know what? She actually never, ever, that young girl never got saved. The mum never went to church. I suggested it on several occasions. I, I, I pulled every trick in the book, everything that I'd known. I can pick her up. I can get one of our leaders to pick her up. I, we can go together. You can come with my family. You know, we can come to you. We'll bring the whole church service over to your house. Like, I, I, I tried every option, and it just wasn't the right timing. And it really confused me from the point of view. I, I thought, man, that moment there where you spoke to me, Holy Spirit, I thought that was going to be the time. See, the thing is, is that Paul speaks about that he sowed and Apollos waters. Another passage of Scripture, you know, some actually sow, but others reap the harvest. And this is the thing that we, we, we can sometimes be so performance orientated that we've got to get that result, that we've got to get them over the line. We've got to build the church because... the Gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And we're on a mission from God and we can be so forthright. And sometimes we can be so hell-bent that rather than being sensitive to the person and the needs and where they're at, we actually push them away and we damage the potential for the long-term relationship that could see them go over the line. I moved from that place to another, another house down south in Brisbane. And from time to time, I've made an effort to do a sort of big curve to go past there and bump into her a couple of times. And I've asked how things are going, and her daughter's doing really well. She's got new friends, and she's flourishing, and she's gone into university and different things like that. But there's no big, grandiose testimony. There's no big, thunderous accolade. There was no Reggie Dabs doing an older call, and then she was at the back, and she was gripped by the moment, and the Holy Spirit pull her on a leash and led her down the front and she got down on her knees and she wept and she cried and she surrendered her life and now she's the next Billy Graham. There was none of that. I would have loved that. But we're all got to be um, true to where we're at and what we're doing. Turn to the person next to you and say, uh-huh. Tell them that you love them. There's three key things that um, I want us to have a look at. Very practically this morning, some of us might do a yawn and go, oh, I've heard this, but you know what? Don't yawn because maybe you're not doing it, okay? So this is a challenge to me who at the time was 15 years strong in the ministry, winning thousands of young people to Christ, raising up leaders to do incredible evangelistic events. But it's something that we need to have a constant refresher course. The first thing that we need to do is genuinely develop friendships. Genuinely develop friendships. In Queensland, it's not AFL Heartland. It's this other rotten, God-forsaken game called NRL. And yes, the state of origin is fantastic, but give me a pigskin Sharon Ed any day. 
oh, the smell of that skin is so wonderful. (laughs) So I've been sent to Queensland not just to evangelize for the kingdom of God, but to actually be an advocate for the AFL. I'm on a commission base every church I go to. I tell you what, though, I nearly have to walk out with Kevlar jackets and protection because they're, they're a menacing crowd. They turn against you. And, um, but you know what? We've, um, both my boys are playing AFL, AFL football. And um, not only is it the greatest game on earth and it's the game that we're all going to be playing in heaven, but <laughs> so you appreciate that. It's just crickets when I say that in Queensland and there's tumbleweeds just rolling through the church. It's like, why do I keep saying it though? I just keep going out there, just pushing the agenda. And, um, but you know what? There's a same-sex couple. They cause so much conflict as parents in, that, um, in the football team. There's so many dramas, man. You think there could be potential politics in church. You haven't seen it like that in a Queensland football club. Everyone's jostling and who can get their boy forward and who can get into the Brisbane Academy or the Suns Academy. And it's just amazing all of the antics that can go on. And so within all that going on, I've really targeted this, this lesbian couple and really just listened to them, spent time listening... Renee and I just think they're a scream because they're like the loudest personalities and they, they just don't care what anyone else thinks and they say the most inappropriate things at the most inappropriate times. And I'm feeling alive. I'm like, yes, give me more. It's just, like, like it's just refreshing just to see people just, just being who they are and not putting on necessarily their Sunday best, but just going for it and not caring what anyone else thinks. It was actually really refreshing. And so what happened is this conflict happened and and apparently one of the coaches got so mad with her son because he wasn't manning up that he said, if you don't beep and man up on that kid, then I'm going to kick you off the team. Now, I'm sure it was slightly exaggerated. He might not have said the beep, but he said everything else. And, um, And so I had to come in and I had to damage control that situation and work with them. And you know got to a point where if there was ever a conflict, they would actually ask me to come in and mediate and pull everything together. Then it got to a point where we played the Aspley Hornets. They are the arch nemesis. They are the Port Adelaide of the (laughs) Queensland. They are rotten scoundrels. They're dirty players. They're just mongrels. They play dirty, cheap shots behind the scene. And you know what? Oh, we love to hate them. And I pray that they don't go to heaven. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm totally joking. Totally joking. They're our arch nemesis. And I wasn't aware because I hadn't played them before. But every single time previously, they had caused some commotion and some trouble. And here I am. They set me up and they made me the ground marshal on that day when we played against that club. And I'm thinking, oh, I was actually quite flattered that I'm, I could be the ground marshal. Wow, I've got a promotion. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord on high. So I was pumped. And so they were setting me up all having a chuckle because of what the other team was like. Now, the coach's son of the Aspley Hornets gave one of our boys a stiff upper lip. So he gets sent off, but no one was clear about the rules of the penalty. Was it 
was it the rest of the game? Was it a quarter? Was it 10 minutes? Was it 15 minutes? Was it the rest of that quarter? And then the next quarter. And the game was on the line and both teams were undefeated. Tempers were at fever pitch. And then the guy comes up to me, eyeballs me and points his finger. And he's taller than me and musclier. And he screams and he goes, you should know the beeping rules, mate. You're the ground marshal. And I'm like, I've got tears in my eyes. I'm like, I'm just, I didn't really have tears in my eyes. I was just trying to be so gentle, like, like I'm thinking, if they all know I'm a pastor, if I turn around and get into a fist fight with this guy, it's going to be terrible. Plus, the dude's a man mountain, so there's a good excuse not to, to hit him because um, he might beat me up, but I'll play the pastor card. And so, so there he is, beeping at me for not knowing the rules. And I, I just I actually had to ask the Holy Spirit to help me because I didn't know what to do. And so I'm praying in tongues under my breath. And then I just pulled them all and I said, guys, we've all got a different variation of the rules. We've all jumped online and we've all got different websites that say different things from different this, that and the other. I said, why don't we just agree? We'll let him off for 10 minutes the rest of the quarter and then he can come back on. And everyone shook hands and agreed on it. You know how stressful that was, but I was loving it because I was in the fracker. I, I was in the midst. I was in their world. I was in their life. I, I was doing life with them. Troy, who's one of the other, the other fathers, his son got um, played for the state team. He pulls all the kids in a couple of weeks later, and there he pulls Liam in, my lad, all the other boys from the team. There's about 10 of them, and they've become really, really good friends. Troy, he smokes like a, whatever the saying is, he, 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 he loves a drink or two, like when we went away the districts, it's like, we can all go get smashed, mate, it's going to be awesome, and I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe not, you know, I'm, I might come out for a bit, and, and so I always make an endeavour to hang out, but he pulls them all over, and he doesn't understand fully why, he doesn't understand how. But he can just sense that there's something different about us. And he pulls all the young lads in. And he says, boys, Cameron's got something that he wants to tell you. So I sort of look at him like, what do you want me to say? He goes, what Cameron's going to tell you? He goes, you're all going to grow up together. You're all going to look out for one another. You're all going to be mates. You're not going to go nightclubbing. You're not going to go out drinking. You're not going to do that stupid smoking stuff. You're not going to take drugs. You're not going to get involved in minor crime. You're not going to get locked up in jail. And, 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 and you're all going to be good kids and you're going to look out for each other just like Liam. And that's my boy. And, I, 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 and then I looked at him and I said, is that what you want me to say? And he goes, you tell him even, you tell him. So I go, guys, you're not going to take drugs. <laughs> you, you know? and, and just re reiterated what he says. And then so he gives me a high five and he goes, we've got that sorted. And we all just walked off. And I'm like, what on earth was all that about? Now, Liam's just started youth group. He's 12 years of age. And you know what? He's now been identified as a lad that's in the club and a parent that's in the club of a family that other families want to emulate and be like. They know that I'm not out there drinking like a, whatever the saying is, I'm not good with my sayings today. <laughs> it's about the seventh time I've preached this weekend. But, but I'm not out there carrying on, I'm mediating, I'm pulling people together, I'm bridging gaps, I'm dealing with parents that are hostile and, and, and different things and, and just doing my little bit. And um, they're, they're just seeing that, that, that 
the light is being shone. If I could get the team to come up, that would be good. We see here that we need to develop genuine friendships. Put yourself in a place. Renee could work at a Christian school, and hear, hear me out here. We love Christian schools. We're both educated by Christian schools, but God personally challenged Renee and I that we need to be out there in the midst. And so Renee works at the state school. That's her own personal revelation for us. And she's out there in a public school dealing with things. She's dealing with parents that are having to not allowed to see their kids because there's domestic violence orders against them and she's managing and talking to the other mums and different other things and it's wonderful we just feel like we're alive because we're in the midst of people's worlds we're in the nitty-gritty and I know that it's difficult sometimes because we've got busy lives and we're frantic and we're we've got to get to church <laughs> there's no bread and milk in the in the in the kitchen I, I totally get that but you know what? As you see him, you'll be like him. And God's heart is always for humanity, for a lost and broken people. And you know, some of us are tapping in line, getting stressed out. What about if we just took the time to take a, a, a deep breath and to discover? Number two, we need to discover their stories. Listen, ask questions. My, my, one of my old senior pastors, he said this great saying. He goes, God's given you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You need to do twice as much listening and less talking. I was like, that's some good advice for a preacher. <laughs> Listen, what's going on? Ask intelligent questions. Ask questions that get to the heart. Seek to understand. But this is the thing. Because people aren't going to care what you say until they find out about how much you care. You know what? When you care for someone, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have your theology and your doctrine all sorted out. You don't have to explain the Trinity. You don't have to understand what all the monsters are and revelations that are coming back and every other thing. You, you don't have to worry about all that. You just need to care and be genuine and, and inquire. Discover their stories. Everyone has a story. See, Number three, we need to discern the next steps. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to be tuned in. We need to listen to what He wants to say. His heart is to exalt and to identify and pinpoint people to Jesus. So if we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, there's always a small whisper. There's always a, 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 an inkling or an inclination where He would speak to us. I know I'm sharing a lot of personal stories to, today. It's not to say, wow, you're cool, Cam. It's not because I'm, I'm giving you in half an hour stories over many years. So I'm not, I'm not the best every week. I'll be honest. Sometimes I do just get on a plane. I put my earphones on and I just need to chill. That's okay. But there's times where I've had to take off the headphones, prompting of the Holy Spirit. I think you might need to have a chat to this person today. You know what? Sometimes I don't feel like it. I've worked hard, winning souls for Jesus. There's a soul right there, mate. Take off the headphones. You can get back to suits later. <laughs> Harvey Specter. Oh, don't you love him? I have a man crush on him. I admit it. Listen and discern the next steps. 
I was preaching in between, um, was it, I was at the Gold Coast in between two sessions, AM and PM. I thought we'd get a, quickly go to the gym. The, the pastor there said, yeah, let's go and do a quick workout. There was this brand new fitness first that was a platinum club and it was supposed to be all amazing. So we did a quick workout. I was exhausted. So we went to the sauna. And um, as I was sitting in the sauna, him and I were reminiscing of times that we had in Adelaide together. And we're having conversations, and and um, it, it was awesome having a catch up. We hadn't caught up for a while, and we're talking about this and having a laugh there. And then this lady interrupts. She says, "Are you from Adelaide?" And I, at first, it was a bit like, "Hey, hang on a sec. Like we're having a personal conversation. I know it's a public forum, but interjecting. Give me a break, lady. No, no." no. <laughs> and then I said, "Yeah, yeah, we're from Adelaide." And and she said, "I had studied in Adelaide dentistry." And, um, and I've just moved up recently to Queensland, into the Gold Coast. I'm at a practice and, and it's going well, but I, I don't really know anyone. So we just kept asking questions, kept leaning in. It so happened to be that her professor that, teached her, that taught her at the university was actually in my young adults when I was back at Paradise. And so there was this connection there and I knew him and she knew him and this, that and the other. And it was all this stuff going on. And, and I said, look, I'm about to go and preach at, at a church down the road, it's cool. I said, it's lots of young people. I said, there's lots of young guys. And um, I said, you might find a partner even. Who knows? Like, it would be awesome. I said, she goes, well, what's it like? See, she had been involved in another faith. And so I said, it's nothing like that. I said, it's going to be amazing. I said, it's like a spiritual nightclub. <laughs> I'd never said that before. And she looked at me like, Sounds fun. Let's go. I'm like, yes, okay. There you go. Spiritual nightclub. So, so she comes along, great church on the Gold Coast, Metro Church, and it's young and vibrant, very healthy, very much like this. And, um, and so she goes to get changed in the women's change room. We go and get changed in the men's change room. She'd ridden her bike there. It was going to be too far a distance to come along. So she said, um, I'll just be a moment. And we decided we we're going to put her bike in the car and we were going to take her. This is the thing, though, is that she was taking ages. Now, I know women take a while to get ready, but this was getting ridiculous. I was going to be late. I hate being late. So I needed to get there to preach and then I had to ask the fitness first the lady behind the desk to go in and find out what on earth was going on. Had she fallen down the toilet, cracked her head? What was going on? And the lady came back from fitness first and said, she doesn't really have anything to wear. She wants to come, but she's, she's she thought she had a change of clothes and it, probably not the right attire to go to where you need to go. Then my friend that I'm with, I will remain nameless, he says, that's okay. He goes, I've got something that she might be able to wear. He's a single 40-year-old guy. <laughs> so I'm giving him the strange look. Like, is this something that you need to tell me about, mate? Like, you're not going places at night and dressing up like a woman or anything, are you? Like, I know we're friends. And then he says, no, 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 no. I've got my golf bag in the car and, and, and I've got um, my golf shirt, a pink Ralph Polo Ralph Lauren shirt and it's too large for me. Maybe she can just throw it on. It can look like a dress. I said, how did your brain go there so quick to do that analysis? I know you're a problem solver, but man, that is like new levels. 
So he goes to the car. She comes, she comes out with her black tight leggings with this polo shirt like this. She looked like the Goodyear balloon. Like when she, it, it was just like unbelievable. She's like, does it look okay? And we're like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it looks super. Let's go. <laughs> so we jump in the car. We get to church. You know what? It was unbelievable. The pastor gets up, Pastor Gary Mack, and he says, you know what, if there's a prayer request, if there's a prayer need, we're, we're praying for all these things up here on the screen and people have written stuff on these pieces of paper. And you know what? God's a miracle working God and he answers prayers. So if you need prayer, whoop, she puts her hand up. Unbelievable. I'm like, this is awesome. She's clapping her hands all through the praise. The pastor gets up and says, you know what, if you're hungry for God, why don't you lift up your hands? So she's like, whoop. I'm like, wow, like this is unbelievable. Then at, I go and preach, give an altar call. She's the first one to put her hand up, come down the front and give her life to Jesus. It was unbelievable. I get a text. Yeah, that's all right. I got, I got, I got, ten, I, I got 10 weeks later, I get a text from Pastor Gary Mack. He goes, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, that young lady that gave her life to Jesus 10 weeks ago, she's gone through the 10 weeks foundation course and we presented her on stage with a foundations course certificate and she's going strong and she's locked into the house of God and she's moving on in her faith in Christ, which is unbelievable. Let's give that a go. See, this is the thing. Some will sow the seed, some will water and some will reap the harvest. I, I, we did everything possible to muck that one up, but God had ordained it. That was the, <laughs> that, that, that was the time that she was appointed to harvest. And this is the thing. It's not about us and it's not about how good we are. We just need to keep presenting. We just need to keep putting ourselves forward. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 